This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hi, and welcome to this week's Body Talk. I'm your host, David Lasondak, structural integrator and fascial specialist with the Center for Integrative Medicine at UPMC. And today, I am so excited to have as my guest, somebody I've been trying to get for a while now, but she's so busy. She had to injure herself in order to get on the podcast today. Uh, she has been in the movement and fitness profession since the 1980s. If you're wondering where Jane Fonda learned it from, she learned it from my guest today. She is a TRX senior master trainer. She is a program developer and writer for companies like Marathu and many, many more. She was the first person to bring yoga to IDEA, the big fitness conference that happens every year in California. And more than that, she is a terrific, terrific friend. Uh, welcome to Body Talk, PJ Eau Claire. Oh, David, I always get all embarrassed just right hear what you say about me. Like, like my face is all red. No one can see that, but my face is all red. And I just want to say that I am so honored to be a guest and I, uh, I am excited to uh, have this conversation today. So excited about it and excited to meet some of the people that you have following you and also to introduce you to the people that follow me. I am likewise equally blushing now. If you look closely, if you squint into your <laughs> ear pod, you might be able to see it. Uh, PJ and I actually met as students. We did. It was the first fashion fitness conference that I had been to it was a course with uh, Robert Schleif out in um, California and uh, Culver I think it was Culver City California yes, yes it was yeah. and uh, it was my first introduction and, and David you look like you were you were you had been there for many times before had you not been there before was that your first time <laughs> you know um, I had been to a number of courses Robert had taught and I actually had been behind the camera doing some of the early videos for the fashion fitness program, not, not the actual ones they put out to the public, but the ones they were using internally to, uh, okay. for, for the programs they were developing. So, and, and I didn't think it was really legit to get credit for taking the course when I really didn't participate. So this was my first opportunity to actually get in there and mix it up and do the moves and, and, and try it out uh, for myself. Well, all I remember how funny it was because I, I saw you, like you were one of the first people I saw. And I thought, who is this guy? He's like totally out of his mind. Because you were like the few, the few, I thought he's got to be from California, right? <laughs> like free movement, you know, like just very like, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wow, these people, like I, I scanned the room, you know, because mm -hmm. you know, I'm in the fitness industry. This is not fitness. I mean, fascia at that point, this is like, this is right in the early days of that yeah. stuff, like 2012 or so, right? Yeah, yeah thereabouts. And I, so I should explain. Yeah. So I am not West Coast people. I am, uh, and PG <laughs> totally is not. definitely East Coast, okay? And I'm in Pittsburgh, which is six hours West of Philadelphia. So it's not quite the Midwest of America, but it's bordering the Midwest of America. So that means to be kind of the Middle East of America. So <laughs> you thought it was a California dude. Wow, you never told me that. No, I never told you that. <laughs> I was just thinking based on the movements, you know, like you were doing the free movement stuff. I mean, you know, all I remember is thinking years ago when, when I 
learned fitness, you know, everything was so structured in fitness. Like when you saw people moving at their own free will and, you know, mm -hmm. grooving to tunes and stuff, you thought, okay, they're either on drugs. Okay. Or uh -huh. they're like definitely a California from Berkeley or something, you know, like, you know, hippie wannabe or something. It was just so funny. Cause when I saw you, you were so free moving that, He's got to be from California, or he's got to be, you know, part of this whole clan. I can't believe I never told you that. People Too compliment funny. me on my dancing, and I'm like, no, I'm just not afraid to move. There's really exactly. But, but I'll tell you this: um, my first yoga teacher, uh, who's also fifth degree black belt, uh, this goes back to the uh, mid 1980s, and she did this thing that doesn't happen much in yoga anymore, and she she had this value that if you were really, really into the pose and you just wanted to hang out there, you could do it. And you could catch up with the rest of the class later. I'm not sure what that has to do with free movement, but I can remember, I can remember the one class where I was in some crazy position and it was just me and my breath. And what I now know to be my obliques, my quadratus lumborum. Uh, but back then it was just that place. And every time I breathed, Every time I breathed, every time I inhaled, and then exhaled, it would just open a little bit more. And I stayed there, I don't know how long, because I'd never had an experience of my body like that in my life. Yeah. And, you know, in, in so many ways in fitness over the years, that was never allowed. You know, it was just sort of like, this is the structure, this is the class, this is what we're going to do. And you weren't given the opportunity to uh explore you know and that's sort of i i wanted to talk a lot tonight about uh the idea of like what's really changed in my industry since fascia and all that, that was my next question so what changed from that initial this is the baby so, so many things like i think back to when i so I started teaching jazzercise and I started teaching dance when I was 16 and literally teaching it to other people. And then I moved into teaching fitness classes. And when I was in my early twenties, I taught, you know, aerobics. It was like aerobics back then. You don't hear anyone say aerobics anymore, do you? No, no. you don't. When they say cardio, it's cardio now. <laughs> so what happened? Okay, it's still the same thing. It's still it is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's aerobic training, but we didn't call it aerobics anymore because, oh my gosh, if you were calling it aerobics, it meant you had to put like your lace leggings on with your thong, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the Jane Fonda era. That was the aerobics Jane Fonda era. I'm still era, a fan you know? of spandex. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, good, because it's everywhere, even in the grocery stores, which you would never have seen before. <laughs> you know, like now everybody's wearing it. It's become fitness. You know, it's actually. I, don't know. I lived in Florida in the anymore. 80s. I, I might beg to differ on that, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, everything in the fitness industry has changed. There's decades, like there was trends, right? There's been trends. And um, when you said I was the first presenter of yoga at IDEA, you know, I just remember being uh, an IDEA presenter wannabe way back when I was in my early 20s. And they said, okay, if you want to become an IDEA presenter, and I went to the, I went to the workshop that said how to become an IDEA presenter, they said, okay, if you want to become an idea presenter, you know, and be in this in, in this amazing community and be able to present to your peers, you have to come up with something that's really different. You have to make it very unusual because we don't need what we already have. We need something new and innovative. And so I thought, okay, all right, I can do that. I can come up with something totally different. So I came up with this program called Yoga in Motion. And 
it was yoga poses because I was a yoga instructor, which was not popular in the 1980s. It really wasn't. It's interesting. It, you know, it just wasn't popular, not in fitness anyway. And I, they said, now, if you want to present for idea, you have to remember, you're probably not going to get in the first time you, you apply because it takes time. You know, we have to learn about you and we have to learn, you know, what you're doing. And so I'm like, okay, I'm willing to like take that, that, that hit if I don't get in, but I could design this whole class called yoga in motion. And I presented it to them and I applied and I got in the very first time. And the funniest story is that I get in, I go and I present yoga in motion. Now, no one knows what the heck that is. I mean, this is like, this is, this is when, you know, aerobics is popular, you know, you're jumping up, kicking your legs way up high to fast music at 146, per minute, right? Crazy mm-hmm. stuff. And mm-hmm. so literally five people show up for the class. Now, every mm. other class has 30 to 100, okay? And I've got uh-huh. five, okay? I'm like, I'm excited. I'm like, five people. So I'm telling you, we had the most amazing experience. They loved it. Years and years and years go by. And this woman comes up to me at another conference. And she goes, oh my God, PJ Eau Claire, you were my first instructor that I ever took a class from. I loved that class. I'm like, well, what class was it? Because I've been teaching for so many years. After that, I didn't know which one mm-hmm. she had taken. Yoga in motion. I go, Oh, and she said, and I can't believe it. It was packed. (laughs) (laughs) The class was packed. And I'm like, yes, wasn't that amazing? (laughs) And And, and thus the legend was born. Yeah, perception is reality, right? Like it's like seriously cracks you up. You think nobody was even, five people were there. But if that one person told everybody. Well, see, that's just it. It has to be the right five people. Um, That's right. The first talk I ever gave at the hospital, uh, three people showed up, you know, and I got to say, I, um, I was hoping for a little bit more. Um, but, you know, you give it your all. Right. And one of those three people was a rehab nurse. And she worked with some really hard luck cases. Um, and and they, that gave her a certain amount of autonomy that she could say, this person is going to go do that thing. This person is going to do this thing and you're going to pay for it, right? And, and we clicked and she started feeding me these highly complex people that, that nobody knew how to sort out or what to do with. So it's about having like that woman in your yeah. class, that woman in my class. So, so we want to get into here what has changed and specifically in terms of fascia in a fascial education in fitness and movement because suddenly after what seems like for me a 20-year waiting period it's everywhere yeah but you have true. the perspective on that so so um you know and I, I would say you know it might be everywhere but it's really not i mean it takes a long time to convince people in my industry the fitness industry that mm-hmm. something is not just a trend and it's not just, oh, well, that's just going to come and go. It really takes time for people to, to believe that it's not. And it, it, it like yoga, look, I mean, look at now, like an idea got bought by yoga journal. So it, what does that tell you? You know, that yeah. one class I taught way back when. The yoga journal the still has one. a strong subscription base. That's what that tells me. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, things have really changed. But, but the things that I, I find uh, interesting about, what has changed is there was a time period in, in aerobics, okay, in aerobics that we were told you couldn't ballistically bounce anymore. 
No more ballistically bouncing, okay? No more bouncing. That was really contraindicated. It could hurt your joints. So everybody stopped bouncing. And everybody got very structured in the way they were doing things. And, you, you know, it changed our fitness world. It was just, I don't remember who said no bouncing, but there was no bouncing. You know, and now in fascia, we know that bounce is all a, is a way to load your tendons. And it's all about to, the bounce, yeah. It's all about the bounce, the spring in your step. I mean, I don't know why, but still to this day, when I teach bounce as one of our variables and the fascial movement training that I teach, bounce is, is one of the variables of, of movement for fascia. People say to me, but isn't that ballistic? And I laugh and I think, oh my gosh, it is ballistic. If you think that ballistic is bad, then that's a different story. That's another conversation. Ballistic mm -hmm. is is just a term that refers to a certain type of bounce, right? But it doesn't right. mean it's bad for you. It just means it's bad for you if you're unhealthy. If you have an <laughs> unhealthy fascial tissue, then yeah, bouncing and ballistic bouncing is really bad. You know, you're going to tear that stuff. You know, mm -hmm. you can't you can't bounce on a you know Achilles tendon that has no hydration and no pliability. You can't, you can't do that, you know, but you can bounce if you're, if you give it, you, it's like anything, you have to take time with it. You have to bounce for maybe a minute, 30 seconds, then you add a little bit more and then you add a little bit more. I mean, yeah, nothing you do that's going to apply loads going to be something you can do a ton of all of a sudden. It's like, if that's a repetitive, you know, injury, but it's interesting. I just find, so that's my first thing was the bounce ideas, like how we took bounce out of everything. We took bounce out of aerobics. We took bounce and everybody started doing step aerobics because it was I remember, more yeah, bouncing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a, that's that's a like good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, step aerobics is going to straighten straighten the whole thing out. No one's going to bounce around anymore. You're going to step up and down on a box to get your cardio up. You know, this is your aerobics now. You're going to do up and down off the box. And this is going to strengthen your muscles and you don't have to worry about hurting your tissues with bouncing. So it's really interesting how that sort of led, you know, led right into that. So I have a ridiculous and idea here. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what's new, David? Uh, all right. So let's, 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 let's take this down to kids. All right. So if you said, okay, kids, here's a bounce house and here's a box house. So you can go and bounce in the bounce house or you can go up and down the boxes in the box house. Where are most of the kids going to hang out? The bounce house. The bounce house. Because the kids get it. Yeah. The kids get it. It's fun, it's freedom, it's play. And that's what's missing in most adults' lives, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, just like Robert took us into the, whenever I went to the courses with Robert, you know, you, you know where you go, you go to the playground. Mm -hmm. You know, you hang, you hang like a monkey. You know, you, you know, the monkey bars never became more important, right? Than now it's, you know, we're, you have to work within your human design, you know, and, and do the things that, encourage the body to, to, to continue to build. But so that's the one thing. So that was my first thing was the bouncing was all taken away. We were not allowed to bounce anymore. No more fun, no more bouncing. That's it. Aerobics is changing to step aerobics or it's changing to very structured strength training. And even in strength training, we used to do bounce. Nope, no bouncing in strength training. You know, I mean, and, and if you listen to Tom Findlay, you know, mm -hmm. he'll tell you totally the opposite. He'll say, oh no, 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 you get to that end range of motion. You add a little bit of, you know, length to that range of end range of motion, you know, and, you know, I had that conversation with him about cancer patients and, um, and strength training and how important it was and how different types of strength training really mattered, you know, but so this is so far removed though, from what we were taught in fitness and what we were taught in, in, 
how it kept changing on us. And, and I don't really know who was writing the change. I, I, I mean, I could find that out, but um, certainly as, a, as an instructor and as an educator in fitness, I, I, I always wanted to make sure that I abided by the rules because I didn't want to hurt anyone. Right, sure. And, you, you know. And if um, this is going to hurt people, okay, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then, you know, sort of think about how as yoga did start to become more popular again in the, in, the, in the fitness industry and people started to think about, oh, it's really important to be mindful, you know, and John Kabat-Zinn talked about mindfulness training and how you really had to be mindful in your workout. So then that sort of changed. A fitness club would have a class that would, now they would start to bring in yoga classes. They would bring in breathing classes. There was a big switch to a different paradigm in the fitness industry that started to look more toward mindfulness training. And, uh, and now, you know, mind body uh, training, that sort of thing came up. But I, I have to say it, it still wasn't, diving deep in the fascial mm -hmm. way because if you look at mindfulness and you look at fascia you have to start to consider um, fascia as a sensory organ and you know mindfulness training brings you into the present moment and present moment is not always a very pleasant place no. for a lot of people yeah. and you know they're not they're not it's like going into the deep dark wilderness or something you know like you're going inside there like oh you know you know what you're gonna find a lot of people are not you know willing to to take that risk that they won't like what they see when they get there and 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 that's something that a fitness person's not really ready to deal with what are well, you going to well, do with the person? it sounds like you're talking about depth psychology yeah, well, you know what? You had to feel like that as a fitness instructor, like almost a little bit like a psychologist at the same time, because you know, as soon as you lie something somebody down, they start telling you all their problems. And <laughs> it's a private, like literally a yeah, private yeah. client. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I get a private client, they lie down. I mean, like, oh my gosh, I just learned way more than I ever needed to know about one individual just because See, I had them lie down. Freud was right. You want to learn about a person, have them lie on the couch or the floor <laughs> or the mat, as the case may be. Exactly. I'm thinking about my private yoga lessons that I did oodles ago. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so I, I think um, as a programmer and a writer of programs, I started to think about that concept of mindfulness. And I thought, well, you know, maybe what I want to do if I want to incorporate some of this concept of fascia is I want to start to have people just sense themselves not necessarily be mindful as like, don't, we don't even talk about mindfulness. How do you feel? Yeah. Rather than just go through the motions because I'm telling you to, no, how does it feel? Let's do the right side and see how that feels. Does that my, motivate you to want to yeah. do the left side? <laughs> Usually I find that it does. Yeah, because once you pay attention to your body and you start to sense what it is that you feel from something that you're doing, you, you know, that's, that's mindfulness in a, in a real phys physical way. And that starts to bring us into interoception about sensing how it is you feel. And that's something I found very fascinating and wanted to dive deep into as I started to work on programming. And I thought if I could just get people to be a little bit more interoceptive to start to understand how do they feel? How does it make me feel rather than just doing it because you're going to look good? If right. you do it, if you do what I tell you to do right now, you're going to lose weight. If you do what I tell you to do right now, you're going to look better. If you do what I tell you right now, you're going to feel better. No one said feel better. Who, who cared about feeling better? Nobody oh, no, that's do. never been. No. No. no, no, it's vanity. 
look better. Lose <laughs> weight. You know? so, so here's a question. I get how to bring people to that place of, of proprioception and interoception. But how does that change when you're with a group? Well, you mentioned two words, proprioception and interoception. And interoception is, you know, completely different from proprioception in that, you know, proprioception is relying on your sensing sort of how you are in space and your, mm-hmm. you know, that brings in the external environment. And it's an easier place to bridge that gap with a group. Yeah. So I well, usually see, to will me, go proprioceptively. To the yeah. interoception. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I, I'll actually go proprioceptively first. I'll I'll bring people to a place where I'll have them put a ball on their chest, hold the ball on their chest and breathe into the ball so that they can sense the ball, right? Feel the ball on the chest, have them breathe into the ball, blow the ball up with your inhalation and let it it expand and condense, right? Expand and condense. And because it becomes about the ball, it's not about them. So Uh then you can see the people in the room, you know, who's willing to do that. Most people are willing to let the ball be the focal point, but they're not willing to let their mind or body be the focal point. So therefore there's a safety zone. It's providing a safe net. And that's been very powerful. Like for me in my, in my sessions with groups is to get people to sense themselves. Then you take them, tell them to take the ball away. Now put your hand on your chest and now breathe into your hand. So now you're starting to begin that interoceptive quality. Now it's their own, their own limb, their own tissue touching their own body. So, so you're, you're telling them that you're telling them you're guiding them to a place where it's okay for them to be in touch with themselves literally right but they don't know that they you know do it's now. sort of a <laughs> oh shoot <laughs> everybody damn what have you done oh claire <laughs> i just like let out the beans man <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, anyway, there's going to be a few of those, I'm sure, tonight, but <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. But, you know, I find that to be so powerful. So I, I will have people lie down and just have them first. The, I have a, I have a three part series. I have extraception, proprioception, and interoception, a three part series of guided Im- imagery. So I have people lie on the mat and just have them sense themselves sense, okay, not themselves, actually, I'm sorry, no, sense their environment. Mm-hmm. How does it feel for you to be lying on the mat? What's the, what's the air quality? What's the temperature in the room? Do you hear any sounds from afar? You know, bring them into their environment and say, what do I hear? What do I sense of my environment? What's the texture of the clothing I have on, on my skin? What's the texture of the mat that I'm on? Is the surface hard? Is it soft? So that's exteroception. Like what is my external environment and how do I relate to that? And then I bring them into the proprioceptive environment by either putting some sort of a ball on their chest or putting a ball on their belly or putting a, a band around their waist. Or But usually when they're lying down, the ball is the easiest thing to do. And then you have them breathe into the ball and sense the ball and feel the ball expand, feel the ball, feel the ball condense, and then feel the ball's texture, if you can, on your skin. So I ask them, can you put oh, wow. the texture of the ball on the skin? Because, yeah. you know, proprioceptively, the Pacini... Um, receptors pick up texture right Mm -hmm. so you can actually get into that pacini which is a somatically driven response that you'd get you know so that that applying that pressure with the ball 
and that stickiness of the ball. That's why I like sticky balls, like balls that don't aren't super soft and slippery, but really sticky balls that kind of sink into your skin. Because mm. then you get that you get that pachini response, right? Where you you know, and if so, if so, what do I mean by that? I mean like if you hold the ball there, that texture is stimulating the Pacini uh, receptors. Those Pacini receptors are what enable you to be more somatically aware. So they, they, they elicit a, res a response, it's a somatic response. So you, now I start to say, okay, if I can get them to have that somatic response, take that ball away, then they put their own hand there. This is now flesh on flesh and it's their flesh. This becomes very personal. Yeah, they, and you've got, and you've got your, uh, your fingertips have a tremendous number of pachini receptors yeah, exactly. in terms of being able to differentiate texture. Yeah. So it's just a really good introduction into external to slightly internal to completely internal. It's, it's a bridging the people and, and, and sort of giving them an ability to enter that wilderness that could be somewhat scary, right? Mm -hmm. So I took a course with Norm Farb, who's a neuroscientist from the University of Toronto. I loved his workshops that I took. They were in um, Boston and Cambridge and at Harvard University, and they were amazing. And what I learned from that is it's important to sort of meet people where they're at and, and sort of get people, make them feel comfortable and get them in a place where you could then bring them into that interoceptive place. But trying to go there first is too scary. So that's been something that I think has been a huge change in the in the fitness industry is this idea of bringing people into sense of self and bringing people into that interoceptive place as opposed to just being proprioceptive all the time. We've been doing proprioceptive work for years, but as fitness professionals, we have not been doing interoceptive work. We, we, we haven't. It, it was a little too much out there, but it just has to be. That's what I was explaining is just finding ways to bring people into that space and, and making it safe. So, so I've, I've got a, a very specific question here in terms of that. So somebody who is a very driven person in the gym or in their hiking or whatever their physical activity may be, uh, who's very goal oriented, very performance oriented, how do you, how do you evoke more introception in them to keep them from pushing their edge too far so they can actually be in touch with what they're doing rather than just, you know, I have to get to mile marker 12. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it takes uh, an injury for them to actually listen. Like a lot of times, you know, you cannot break that, that barrier of that, you know, goal oriented person sometimes until they get to a point where something has happened. Maybe it's not an injury, but something has happened that makes them stop and say, oh, I don't, you know, I can't perform how I want to because my body doesn't feel good. Then if it's feeling bad enough, they might listen. It, it's, un, it, it's unfortunate that it sort of takes that, but I've, I've probably been that person myself where I've pushed myself so hard that, it, you know, I, one of my friends once said, if PJ's telling you her arm hurts, it's probably already fallen off. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing PJ, I would say that's probably close to the truth. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, just like, no, just like so directed, like directed into that path of where I'm going that, you know, didn't pay attention to the arm and fallen off. But you know, like, but that is, I think what you're talking about is that driven person that, you know, it sometimes takes a bang over the head 
to for them to finally stop and say, okay, I'm, I'm willing now to listen. And, and then when they do, what I found is the profound results that they have after that, you know, it's, 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 it's enough to make them start to change and, mm-hmm. and, and, and benefit far more from the work that they're doing. So, you know, but unfortunately it might take that. Yeah. So I think that the other thing I wanted to say about the changes is um, in the industry is, you know, so we talked about the bouncing and sort of, you know, that, that aspect of things got a lot more structured and we stopped having that play and that fun at one point. I remember classes used to be so fun and then all of a sudden it just got very serious at a certain period of time, like maybe the nineties. And then mindfulness sort of came in, I think two thousands, you started hearing more about mindfulness and then that then you know yoga started becoming super popular again and now the interoception becomes another whole realm but uh then like vibration vibration define vibration vibration is everywhere and i'm talking about applying vibration to your body vibration okay all the hyperized tools and things like that oh everything has vibration there okay Mm -hmm. i think vibration is sort of like the 2000 you know uh i don't know oh, didn't this start with the plates the big plates yeah the, the power or, plate. yeah yeah that's but that plate. didn't really take off because they're too expensive right? yeah yeah so expensive and people couldn't really have them although the research on them is phenomenal and i and i and i love them however then but you get like the theragon and you got like the I don't know, the vibe and the, you know, all these different tools now and, you know, hypervolt and, you know, all these different tools. I've got the hyper ice and it's this vibrating ball. And it's great because I can put it like under my hamstrings when I'm sitting or behind my shoulder when I'm driving home from work. Yeah. So so what does that make you feel like when you do that? Um, Like, why do you do that? (laughs) Good question, right? Turning things around, David, I'm asking the questions now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, this episode wow. of my talk will continue after this message. <laughs> okay, why do I do it? Because, <clears throat> um, and I have to say, I like the ball one particularly because I use my hands a lot in the work that I perform. So something that I can holding my hand with no pressure that's going to vibrate is going to give me, give my nervous system and my tissues some kind of stimulation that is, that is different from the repetitive motions I've been doing all day long. Um, We know that the fibroblasts, which are the cells that build collagen uh, respond to messages of pressure in vibration. So in my mind, I'm using that to reverse the messages of pressure I've been delivering through my hands in my therapy all day long to one more of vibration to kind of equalize the mechanical messages that my body is giving the fibroblast so that I don't get too much collagen buildup in my hands or in that one particular place in my hamstring on my left leg or uh, in the, in the rhomboid area of my shoulder. And in that, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes of vibration seems to make a difference because I notice how I feel when I don't do it. 
Exactly. So that's what I'm doing. So, okay. Well, I can tell you that it's a cellular thing. Definitely. It's a okay. cellular thing. Um, so you're basically <laughs> thinking about oscillation, like any sort of vibrational quality that can go through your system. Now you can do it with chanting though, David, you can do it with chanting. You can use your vocal cords. <laughs> You can use I've always wanted to experiment with that, but I, 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 been, I never quite have, but I do enjoy chanting in groups because I feel safe. But it's interesting before, you know, before these vibrational tools came about, I mean, the monks, you know, when they chanted, I mean, it, it's this, it was a, a definite benefit to that vocal tonation going through the whole entire um, extracellular matrix so the, the body's tissues. So that vibration of your vocal cords stimulates and it's very similar to a certain hertz of vibration, that chanting. Well, yes. And are you familiar with the seed sounds? Um, yeah. Vom, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you yeah, do oh, yeah. those, you feel them in different places in your body. It's not identical. It's so, yeah. because they all run through the chakras. In fact, exactly. You know, in my yoga training, we did the sound with different asana, different poses, so that we could bring up whatever it is that that particular sound was going to penetrate. And that asana was paired with the actual sound. Mm -hmm. It was very, very powerful. I've done classes like it, that. I've done classes. Like very that. powerful. But anyway, my point is it's that, hard to do that when you're driving. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. I, that's why I like my. That's why you ball. sit on the air. Thank you. <laughs> and, but what I find really fascinating is that people are willing, and this goes back to that proprioception into interoception concept, where you have the proprioceptive tool compared to being in the chanting mode, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you think about that, like if you had to bring up that sensation by doing it yourself, to yourself, very different than using an external source, right? But using the vibration tool is going to uh, be that proprioceptive quality. So it's, 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 it makes it accessible for a lot more people and it makes it much more, um, pe people will be more compliant if they have a tool mm -hmm. to actually apply, they'll be more compliant, right? They'll do it. If I give somebody a, a vibration tool and say, here, I want you to use this so you can actually neurologically fire those muscles. Maybe the muscle, I would say that like my clients that have glute amnesia, gluteal amnesia, you know, or, or like a dumb yeah. bum, you know, put oh, it on your dumb bum. bum. I like that. Dumb bum. You like that? <laughs> if, you, if you have a dumb bum, you know, you put that on the, the vibration tool on the, on the muscle and then you can perhaps stimulate some sort of neurological response that then maybe the muscle can contract. So I like it for waking people up, but I love the fact that hydration you get from vibration because when you have vibration quiet, oh. you actually pump more fluids intracellularly. You know, I, I never thought about that before. Yeah. That, you're pumping so more now. fluid. Yep. Yep, yeah, yeah. because what's happening is that the integrins are getting that stimuli from the vibration on the extracellular matrix, pumping right through the integrin into the intercellular matrix. And then you have that ability perhaps to have some sort of genetic expression, you know? Uh, so in fact, some of the research that was done on the, uh, on, on vibration uh, using the fascial releaser, mm -hmm. the stick with uh, that Christopher Gordon had come up with, but using that stick is a, found that the tissue that they specifically, maybe they did like the glute area, when they tested that tissue with a myoprone 
Myotone Pro, they tested that fascial tissue to see what the density factor was, that after they had done vibration, that tissue was a lot more pliable and more filled with fluid than the tissue that didn't have the vibration. So yeah, and what's amazing is how quickly that happens. Much yeah, more quickly. quickly yeah. So if you really uh, feel uh, sort of stiff in your body and you're feeling um, that you're not able to, to pump the fluid through your system very well, one of the best ways to do it is, or neurologically get responsiveness is through vibration. And people have now studied that. And now we've got this tool that we can use in fitness that helps us to get people hydrated get people more juicy right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know and and so and it feels good yeah which is feeling good is good but vibration can also have another effect and it can have an effect where people get nauseous from it right so i i haven't quite gotten into that one so much yet but i'm really curious about that and i'm sure some of your listeners will have a point of view about that but people get really, some people can't handle vibration. And I, and I do believe that it has to do with Hertz. What's the, what's the intensity of the, of the vibration. Sure. And perhaps that could be stimulating something in the neurological system. But well, you know, I that's funny. That, I know people for whom um, they find that's, Oh my God, that's too much. And I'm thinking, wow, that's the lowest setting. Yeah. But they yeah. do, they have, they have a more extreme reaction. To, to and I do believe that that's probably somebody who has a bit more of the interoceptive type of dysregulation that Robert Schleip talks about. He talks about proprioceptive impairment mm -hmm. and the different conditions that um, are associated with proprioceptive impairment, which would be like, you know, lower back pain, scoliosis, fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. um, those particular sort of I'm not sure fibromyalgia is in there, pardon me for that, but I know that low back pain, scoliosis, those are the things that are proprioceptive impairments. In fact, you'll hear uh, Andre Gleaming talk about that too, where you know people with lower back pain have a lack of proprioceptive ability in their in their thoracolumbar fascia, right? Yeah. That, that sort of whole fascial lack of proprioception. Yeah, well, I, I would say have, that's true everywhere, wherever there's yeah. that kind of injury, it's like, okay, it just it just dampens the signal. Yeah, exactly. Knows. So then mm -hmm. an interoceptive dis dysregulation would be things like irritable bowel syndrome, anorexia. Um, those are uh, anxiety. Those, when you, you think about those conditions, you think of them as being psych psychological conditions. You don't necessarily think of them as being physical impairments, right? So that's, why, why can't that really, they be both? Why can't they be both? No, they can be both. Exactly. And I think they often are both, but we're, we don't treat right. them as both. Right. And, uh, but sometimes I, I if find you that talk to the body, the, the mind, the mind will start listening as opposed to trying to use the mind to talk to the body. Exactly. So I find that that stuff. So people who have that sort of interoceptive dysregulation, too much stimuli from something like vibration. This is just in my own experience in mm -hmm. my own setting. They, they're the ones that typically don't like the vibration or get the nausea from the vibration or feel like it's too overwhelming the sensory system. And I, I find that really interesting. Okay, so this leads me to something else I don't talk about very much professionally, but it is a clinical observation I've made hundreds of times. And I call it muscle nausea. And it doesn't come from vibration. It just comes from stimulating this particular area. And it brings 
uh, about the sensation of nausea, but it's one that they generally can cope with. But that's how, as you're trying to change the ability of that muscle to fire, if you're, as you're trying to change the ability for the, the, the fascia around that muscle to de-densify or whatever, it brings on this wave of nausea. Would that be similar or not? Yeah, I, I think it probably is. I think it's, uh, it, it's, yeah, I think it could be similar. Yeah. So that's vibration, right? And then I think uh, the next thing that I find really interesting that's been a real change in my industry has been the concept of traditional biomechanics, you know, and, and forces and levers and tensegrity, right? And looking at this idea of tensegrity in the, in the human biological being and biotensegrity. So, so you'll listen to people out there talking about biotensegrity and tensegrity and how you know, we have to change all of our textbooks because we, we're really not, we shouldn't be likened anymore to man-made machines. And, you know, the human body is not a man-made machine. We, we shouldn't be liking it. You know, we shouldn't be comparing it to these man-made devices. You know, the biological body can't be the same as a force and lever um, mm -hmm. type of a, a structure, which makes sense, right? But I, I'm sorry, but when do you see, David, the textbooks being changed? Oh, <laughs> well, I, I, I just edited one last year. You helped, you contributed a yes. chapter on that. <laughs> but that's just one textbook, one tiny textbook in a vast sea of textbooks. Um, yeah, that's been, that's been one of my pet peeves for the longest time. You know, the human body is the most incredible machine ever created, you know. Uh, yeah. But we also see it in our tech. And so, you know, I, I would say that if the body is in a machine, uh, the brain and the nervous system isn't computer processing and software, but we use those metaphors. Exactly. It's like, to me, it's almost pathological. We create this external environment that is not natural. And then we use the symbology of that external environment, computers, machines, levers, pulleys, software, to explain our internal experiences of having a body. Is that weird or what? Yeah, that's exactly it. And, 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 you know, so when people try to tell me, you know, well, you know, this is all outdated. And when, when are people going to come up and get, get, get in touch with what's happening now? I'm like, well, how long does it, it's going to take forever to, you know, doesn't mean you can't, you can't walk the walk because we know it, we can walk the walk. Yes. Just because, the, but, the, but unfortunately the textbooks don't, textbooks don't back us up. But, you know, that's how change gets made, though, is by just saying, you know, I'm not going to be willing to sit where I, where I was because, I, because the textbooks haven't changed yet. You know, we know better than that. It takes a while for everything to catch up. That's all. And, you know, I find this is a very big dilemma right now in, in the industry is, you know, muscle insertion and origin. Do you think that comes somewhat from, from human ego? It's like in order to change on some level, we have to admit we were wrong. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and it's okay. It's okay that. because we know things now that we didn't know that. Yeah. Exactly. So there's no fault in saying, hey, we've changed the way we're doing this because we know things now that are different. Yeah, it's just like Pilates, right? Like I can liken this to Pilates. Listen, this is crazy because in the Pilates repertoire in the early days, you would lie on your back for at least the first 20 to 25 minutes and you'd do flexion exercises for like literally 20 to 25 minutes. Wow. And, you know, today, right? Like, I'm sorry, that's just not, that's not, 
an evolution of movement, right? That's like, <laughs> do we really need to lie on our back and flex our spine for 20 or 30 minutes in, a, in one class when we only have 45 to 50 minutes? I, I don't think that that makes a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. But we have evolved and know that that isn't quite right. So we've changed things a bit so that we're not doing flexion for 20 to 30 minutes in a, a straight line, you know? So, but, 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 but it doesn't mean that there are people out there that think that that's, that that original repertoire it was wrong. I mean, they think of it as being what it was in the time, hopefully, but you know, it, does it match us where we are now? Not necessarily our people are sitting too much. They're already in flexion all the time. You know, do, does it match us where we're at now? And that's really what it take, comes down to is what we're doing. Is it really going to serve us now and what we do now? It doesn't matter what happened before, you know? Yeah. So, so the 10 segrity concept. Um, and I, I'm really into this right now. Like I just want to say that if I could tell any one of my clients, if I could, if I could tell them how much tone was necessary for any given exercise or task that they needed to do in their life, that would be a gift because then they wouldn't have to sense it on their own. Mm. They wouldn't have to figure it out, (laughs) but that's not real. That's not reality. (laughs) No, it isn't. It is. But would that be so nice if you could just say to people, oh, this is all you need to do is provide it. 25% of your tone should go here. Because I know I say, you know, mm-hmm. if you just give me 20% tone, yes. I'm giving push, them a guide. Push, push to me with 20% of your strength. What does that even mean? You, exactly. Because yeah. everybody's perception of tone is so completely askew and mm-hmm. different for everybody. Because we all have our own level of pretension that we, you know, that we live in, and that can be somewhat high and somewhat low. But, but I just think that really understanding movement is understanding tone and how much is necessary. Because you can just waste a shitload of time. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you're allowed to say that. Okay, you can waste a shitload of time. <laughs> you know, if you have the if you're applying the wrong amount of time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I you know one of the things I do when I when I give uh, when I give my patients homework to work on uh, things is, uh, and you get the well, how many should I do? Yeah, you know, and the answer, of course, you and I know is enough, right? But how do they know where that is? So I'll tell them to set the timer on their phone because everybody has a phone, everybody has a timer. And I'll be like, start at a minute and a half. So then you don't have to worry about how long you're doing it for. And just focus on what you're feeling as you're doing it. You know, and just do that stretch, okay? And then stop. And then do the opposite side or whatever it is I'm giving them to do. And just just focus on how you feel that morning in that moment. And if the alarm goes off and you think, wow, that was all, do it for two minutes the next day. If you think, wow, that was a lot, stay in a minute and a half for a while. So that, that's my little trick to try to break people out of that competition with themselves and repetition with themselves. Yeah, and I, that's, that's a good one. I think it's a, another really good one is if, if people are working at their desk and they're working on a project, like I know when you're writing, I'm sure this happens to you when I'm writing and when mm-hmm. I'm like really focused on something, I realize I'm sitting in a very tense. Mm-hmm. And I'm typing and I'm thinking and my body's in a very different place than when I'm present. But if you then all of a sudden stop typing and just say, okay, how much tone do I have in my body right now? Do I really Mm -hmm. need all this? Do I Mm -hmm. really need it all? Could I just like drop into my seat a little bit more? Can I drop Mm -hmm. back for a minute? And just, you know, it's not even that like sitting is 
is the new smoking. You know how they even say that? No, I know how many times you've heard that. But what it is, is it's, it's like tension. Yeah. Too much tension, you know, like Mm -hmm. just allowing yourself to say, okay, I don't need to have this much tension to sit here right now. Maybe I need to, I don't have to stand up even. I just have to settle down for a minute then upcharge, then settle down. Because when you're thinking and your body's in that like mental mode, your, your physicality changes. Your tone does. your body I changes. I stop breathing. I stop breathing. Right. Yeah. Which is really bad. And I know better. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And we know better. Imagine the people that don't. Yeah. But anyway, so I think tensegrity is a huge topic. We could have a whole conversation about that another time. But uh, understanding tone, how much and what are the parameters of you know, stability, people talk about being stable, right? Being stable and being mobile. Well, what does stable mean? Because some people think that stable is rigidity, right? And rigidity right. is, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 you have to know what the balance is there. There's so many layers to that. Um, you know, it, I think that I like to talk to people about the concept that I learned through TRX, which is what is stable, what is mobile. And if you know that about any given exercise, then you can at least talk to your brain about what's meant to be done, right? Mm-hmm. So if you do, if you, mm-hmm. right, could you give an example? You, yeah, so if you're doing a clamshell, everybody knows what the clamshell is. You're lying mm-hmm. on your side, you got your legs, knees stacked on each top of each other, and you take one leg bone and you rotate it out and you bring yep. it back, that clamshell so, exercise, so right? Be a everybody video knows that. in the notes in case you yeah, know. Yeah, definitely like super easy, right? Yeah. You're lying on your side mm-hmm. and you're doing the clamshell, okay? Most people come to me and say, my physical therapist told me to do this. And I, I say, okay, well, show me how you do it because I know how the physical therapist probably told them to do it, but how they perceived it and then ended up doing it at home a million times, you know, 50,000 times automate something in your brain. How many times did they automate the wrong data? (laughs) (laughs) You know? Okay. So Mm -hmm. here we go. Let's open that leg and then close it. Right. And then I watch the whole pelvis moves with the leg. I'm like, okay, if this is how you're doing it, this is not the clam. This is basically a pelvic, a lumbopelvic motion, you know? So mm-hmm. it's all about isolating that femur in the hip socket, right? right? Moving that leg bone in the hip socket. But what's stable is the entire pelvis while the leg bone is mobile in the pelvis. And that's it. Not the pelvis moving with, that's, that's an associated movement. We don't want to associate the movement. We want to disassociate it. We want to disassociate the, the leg bone from the pelvis by moving it by itself. So if you can teach that concept and get people to understand just that, right? What's stable, what's mobile, then they have a parameter to work inside of that is actually going to make them more successful than just giving them a piece of paper that shows the exercise and saying, go home and do this. No, go home and do that, but do how do I do it? It's not do it, how do I do it? Because if you do the wrong thing, you get the wrong results. That's right. You know, and then you automate all the wrong data. So that idea of what is stable, what is mobile is a good way to start to elicit that concept of tensegrity and that, you know, tensile integrity in the pelvis while you have that mobile ability through the the hip joint, you know, like, so that's, that's one example. And and I think that works, but, you know, that comes into that, that's, that's an exercise where that's completely local meaning it's not very global, right? right? Anytime you isolate like that, you're definitely working local joint stability and stuff, right? But when we look at the global body, then we really look at, you know, the fascial 
continuities and tensegrity concept is is that integrated being right our integrated being being our myofascial continuities and and the global stabilizing slings everybody's got a different name for the same thing right you know yeah. you got like global stabilizing we got to have our brands got to have our brands yeah anatomy trains i mean there's all these different names right for all basically the human design we're you know we're all built with the same slings we're all built with the same um uh, potential i say these are our potentials yeah, yeah, yeah. but i think it is right? good i think it is good that these these whole body global patterns uh, are starting to be mapped oh totally. because that gives us something concrete something more concrete to work with and there's there's plenty out there that haven't actually that um physical cartographers such as yourself are mapping every day with your with the people you work with that aren't necessarily maps that are in the textbooks yet, even for our cutting edge textbooks. Right, it's true because every individual, I always say, you know, like you, you you get a little baby, you know, and you touch the baby's legs and they're squishy and they're soft and and but they have an iliotibial band. It just isn't present yet because they mm-hmm. haven't walked, they haven't loaded it. So if that baby learned to walk like we know humans are meant and designed to walk, then they would get an iliotibial band and they would get that lateral line and the continuity the way we know it. But what if they walked in a totally different way? Would that line still be the same? No, probably that, not. No. It would, right. it, would de- it would have developed differently. That's exactly. So that's why we can say, yeah, we have a potential for human design, a human, the mapping of the body. We have a potential. We, we have identified a certain potential and map of our body, but our actions are going to speak volumes over what our design is. You know, mm-hmm. what you me. do in your, mm-hmm. right. What you do in your life is going to promote a particular pathway that maybe isn't part of your natural design, you know? Yeah, I know. I, I was just thinking that, like, I'm taking that idea to the next level. I'm just getting a really bad idea for um, a business <laughs> model that preys on nervous parents worried that their kids aren't going to physically develop correct. So we can make sure that they develop IT bands and lateral lines. We can start them, like, as young as three months old, right? <laughs> I'm going to cut this part out of the podcast, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> It just needs it needs it needs a clever name. No, I'm I'm cutting that part out. <laughs> it was there for a moment. I let the moment pass, and I shouldn't have brought it back up. Um, that was. I feel like we just got started, and it's time to stop. I know, huh? I but we can we can do a part two. We can certainly do a part two. But before we do that, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up on part one, PJ O'Claire? Oh, I just want to say that um, the excitement is is still there for me, you know, in that fascia's really just started to touch the fitness community. It really, it's it's still it's still just just coming about, and there's so much more to share and so much more uh, growth. Uh, I would say that is true in the manual therapy community as well. And it is yeah. incredibly exciting. It's very exciting, yeah. Yeah. And I'm so excited to be here. I had fun. <laughs> so excited to have you here. I had fun too. We'll have you back soon. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only PJ O'Claire on Body Talk. We'll see you next week. Thanks for stopping by, PJ. Thank you for listening to another episode of Body Talk. Want to support the show? 
become a subscriber. Just go to anchor.fm and hit the subscribe button and for $4.99 a month, you'll unlock some really cool bonus content and you'll be supporting the continued existence of one of your favorite podcasts. And I thank you for that. Also, if you have any comments or questions about the show, just send them to bodytalkdavid at gmail.com. And uh, who knows, your question just might get in to a future show here on Body Talk. Join us next week when we explore your inner universe. I am David Lasondak for Body Talk saying, take good care of yourself. You're the only you that you have. See you next week.